So good to see you here this morning. Once again, some of you did not have a choice, but uh, many of you did, and we appreciate you choosing United Airlines <laughs> for this flight. Yesterday, we talked a little bit about Thanksgiving, about being thankful. So hit me with some things you're thankful for right now. I've got chocolate for you if you've got something for me. Tell me, something you're thankful for. Yes. For being here. Amen. The alternatives aren't good. <laughs> Sorry? God's breath in, in your lungs. Amen. Hunting season. Do I dare? Careful. Careful. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Someone else. Family. Okay, I don't know where that came from. Oh, Mark, beautiful. All right. Yeah, you guys, you just look thankful right there. <laughs> As do you. Any golfers here? Anyone golf? Yeah, this is for you. A little golf book I wrote. There you go. Anyone else? Oh, 10 bucks. No, no. Someone else? Golf? Come on. This was the first one right back here. There we go. Someone else? Thankful for what? Yes. Amen, Anna. Can I get this to you? Hey, oh, careful. Yes. Beautiful. Keep them coming. Come on. More. Thankful for what? Freedom. Amen. Thankful you don't golf. Well, I was, when my, little, when my son, I, I mentioned yesterday how he asked me what I was thankful for to come up with my list. I don't know what you would say. I told him something along this line. I'm thankful for Thanksgiving Day. I'm glad we don't eat turkey every day of the year. We'd all look, look like the Goodyear blimp by Christmas. And I'm thankful for three weeks of Thanksgiving sandwiches, turkey, after Thanksgiving. I'm thankful for attention deficit disorder, which I personally developed, thank me, back in second grade. It helps me write short stories. Yes. I'm thankful for the dark. It's the only time I can see the stars. I'm thankful for someone to thank. Aren't you this morning? Do I get an amen there? Some of you laughed at me yesterday. I, I've been getting over that. Uh, no, I appreciate it. A few of you asked me what makes me laugh. You know, clippings from newspapers. I am a voracious reader and clipper of things, and, and uh, I've got a few to show you. One I found I don't have a picture of is uh, it just says, Dentist Receives Plaque. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Here's another one. Look at this. Bugs flying around with wings are flying bugs. Whoa! This one. State prisons to replace easy open locks. That's a good idea, I think. Yes. Yes. And deaths. Deaths are coming, just so you know. Look-alike winners of our contest, a startling resemblance, those two very different individuals. I thought that was funnier than you did. I, I did. Uh, shamed by you English, are you? You can speak soon and write like a graduate college if me let you help for a day of 15 minutes. Huh? I want to learn the language from this guy. Don't you? Kids make me laugh. Uh, they just do. I tell you, they, they were asked on a test uh, what ended in 1812. A little guy wrote down 1811. Very good. A question. Uh, I earn money at home by blank. Fill in the blank. Guy wrote down I don't. I'm a freeloader. 
Well, some kids are smart. Here are some things kids have said. Wise kids, you can't trust dogs to watch your food. Makes sense. Never ask your three-year-old brother to hold a tomato. Just don't. When your mom is mad at your dad, don't let her brush your hair. Never hold a vacuum cleaner and a cat at the same time. And don't pull your dad's finger when he asks you to. That's just a general good rule. Grandkids help me laugh. A few of you in here have some grandkids. I uh, suddenly have six of them in less than three years. I don't know what happened, but uh, it's very cool. I'll show you some pictures because I can, and I'm here. This is our very happy granddaughter, um, Sophia, and uh, she is more happy when she's around her puppies. But, you know, uh, I'm not old enough to have grandkids. I honestly believe that. I suddenly find myself sleeping with a grandma, which is really weird. It's just, wow, I can't believe this. I woke up in the middle of the night and had that startling thought. Sophie is too. She is one running comedy sketch. It is so much fun. She, the other day, said, Mama, we've got an emergency. I can't find my other princess shoe. And then there was silence. Oh, wait, it's here. It was an emergency, Mom. It was, she said. They were driving down there in Brownfield out here, and they were driving down the road. Sophie pointed out the window and said, Cows, Mom. We shoot them, Mom, and eat them. We do. <laughs> I considered briefly putting that on Facebook, but uh, thought I would be chastised uh, by some people. One little child said, Nice pants, Mommy. Why are you wearing them in public? Another little kid leaned in close to her mother and said, Don't worry, Mommy. I love you and would never kill you. Oh, what a comfort that is. Isn't that good to know? Yeah. Well, it's good to laugh. You heard a little bit of my story yesterday, and really I've discovered that almost without exception, the greatest laughers on the planet are those who laugh despite circumstances, not because of them. The joy of the Lord is the key to that. My desire is that you would experience the joy God promises to those who ask Him for it, who humbly seek Him, a joy that I've been surprised by, a joy that's there on mundane Mondays and in the middle of the mess as well. I asked my granddaughter, Sophie, how you doing? She didn't say anything. She just let out a squeal of absolute delight. Just, ah, I will not imitate her. It was too high-pitched. She just let it go. She is loved by her mama and daddy. There's free food. She's surrounded by puppies. Why wouldn't you squeal? But I wonder if I asked you this morning, how you doing? I wonder what you'd say. Would you let out a squeal? Would you? I just read about a girl who brought her hamster to the vet. Now, this hamster had not been moving for three days. It would not eat. It would not drink. It was just leaning against the side of the cage, just kind of looking around like this, you know. When the vet took the hamster out of the cage, Fluffy began walking normally, which baffled them. Wow, was it a miracle? Then the vet noticed something in the hamster's mouth, a fridge magnet in its cheek pouch. Turns out the hamster had scarfed up the magnet when it got out of the cage for a few minutes, then spent the next three days stuck to the side of the cage. Thanks to its magnetic personality, well, I'm happy to report that the critter is now happy and healthy and ready to make better diet choices in the future. I trust. I think this is a picture of him here. There he is. Yeah. Fluffy the hamster got me thinking that all of us have things that suck us over to the side of the cage. Am I right? And keep us there, stuck. 
We love to laugh, but there's a multitude of joy suckers out there. I believe that one of the greatest needs of our day is Christians who live lives of joy. I don't mean we're running around ha-haing all the time. I mean we are so filled with joy that people around can tell, and they want to know where it came from. Mother Teresa was asked what she was looking for in those who wished to work beside her in the dirty streets of Calcutta. She said the desire to work hard and a joyful attitude. And that was it. That's what she said. Well, let's face it. Joy does not characterize our culture. Have you noticed this? It simply does not. Newspapers would be empty without an endless procession of tragedies and calamities and uh uh-ohs. Newscasts wouldn't last 30 seconds if they edited out the despair and the paranoia that we're experiencing in our culture. We are swallowing all the wrong things, and the joy is gone. We started something... uh, a little while ago called Laugh Again Radio, and uh, I'm on there each day. I read a list of fortune cookies uh, on the radio, and uh, it's just interesting responses I get from people. I, I, it was, they were very funny things. One of them just said, help, I'm being held hostage in a fortune cookie factory. Well, I thought that was very funny. Someone wrote to tell me, this is not funny. Sad things are happening in our world. Things like that, you know. <sighs> oh, Wow. Well, you know what? I know. I know these things are going on. I care deeply, but the last thing we need is for Christians to be going around going, hey, hey, no, don't don't laugh. Don't be laughing. Is there a problem in the fortune cookie factories with little kids working? I don't know this. If there was, I would like to do something. I hope not, but we need to lighten up a little bit. I told about a single lady on the radio, a single gal who who was, she passed away, and she specified that at her funeral there'd be no male pallbearers. They wouldn't take me out when I was alive. I don't want them taking me out when when I'm dead. I thought it was very funny. Come to my office. I have a three-page letter, handwritten beautifully, from a dear lady telling me off over that one. I sat down to respond to that letter and realized there was no return address. Have you ever had anonymous letters? I get them sometimes. I wanted so badly to tell her a story, but I don't think it would have helped. I I wanted to tell her about a lady who wrote to her pastor to say she'd found laughter the best medicine that she'd ever taken in her life. She met and married her husband at 31 years of age, and laughter helped her raise 12 kids. She never worried about finding a husband when she was single. Instead, she got a pair of men's pants, hung them over the foot of her bed, knelt down, and prayed a beautiful prayer. Father in heaven, hear my prayer and grant it if you can. I've hung a pair of trousers here. Please fill them with a man. (laughs) Well, the preacher told this story then got a letter from another lady whose son heard the preacher tell the story, and she wondered if she should be worried about her son, because every night he got into bed. Before he did, he hung a woman's bikini over the foot of his bed. (laughs) Don't worry, Mom. It's okay. Well, the average child laughs 200 times a day. That's what I'm told. 200 times a day, and you've been with kids. They just see stuff, and it's funny to them. They just snicker. But then something happens. We go through primary school and puberty, and we get pimples, and we start dating and job hunting, and eventually some of us get in-laws, and we give birth, and you get a mortgage, and life gets serious. Soon we discover that horrible things happen to wonderful people, that friends and parents make bad decisions, and we're stuck to the side of the cage, aren't we, as joy is gradually sucked from our lives. I don't know about you. What would you say if I asked you, What is something that can suck the joy from your life? 
smell something out. Sin. Wow. Yeah. Amen to that. Bill Pavis, yeah. Homework. <laughs> Give her an A plus for that. All kinds of things. Yesterday, uh, we talked about radical gratitude. Today, I'd like to address the thieves that steal our joy, the joy suckers. I just read an article in the Atlantic magazine. You'll, you'll love this. It was about you. It was about iGen. That's what they're calling you. I don't know if it'll stick. But it's based on a huge study that began way back in 1975 when the earth was still cooling. The average 13 to 17-year-old spends more time than any previous generation in their room, according to this huge study. That's just the way my generation is, says Athena. We didn't have a choice to know any life without iPads or iPhones. I think we like our phones more than we like actual people. Quite an admission. My bed has like an imprint of my body, she says. The typical teen now lives on his or her smartphone. Now, here's the upside to it. You are physically safer than teens have ever been before, according to this. You're less likely to get into a car accident when you're sitting in your room. You're less likely to be rebellious, to drink alcohol, to smoke, or have premarital sex. Teen pregnancy is down. I'd like to read that. In fact, the teen birth rate hit an all-time low last year, down 67% since 1991. We are too busy staring at devices to have vices, perhaps. But there's some interesting graphs I want to show you. The first is that the number of teens who get together with friends nearly every day dropped more than 40% in the last 15 years. Mommy and Daddy are driving you around. One guy admitted, I'm 21, I'm in university, my mommy drives me to school and back. You're in no rush to date, less dating. You're more connected than anyone's ever been, yet you are more lonely. Insomnia is off the charts. Teen depression and suicide have skyrocketed. Since 2007, the homicide rate among teens has declined. The suicide rate has increased. Teens are feeling no hope. They're spending less time together, researchers say, so they're less likely to kill one another and more likely to kill themselves. You gave me everything to live with and nothing to live for, a teenager wrote on a note to his parents before he took his life. According to this article, your generation is on the brink of, quote, the worst mental health crisis in decades. Around 2012, researchers noticed an abrupt shift. They'd never seen anything like it. What happened in 2012? The proportion of teens who owned a smartphone surpassed 50% for the first time. Three in four teens now own an iPhone. Most of the rest, I suppose, own a smartphone. There is compelling evidence that the devices we've placed in your hands are having a profound effect on your spiritual lives. This according to secular researchers. The prolonged use of these devices is making you, quote, seriously unhappy. We have created the perfect storm for depression, anxiety, and joyless living. I'm not blaming you. I'm blaming my generation, I suppose. Maybe you're saying, Phil, I, I, was, I was filled with joy when I came in this room. Now you've sucked the place dry. I am seriously depressed now. Hang on, I am not done. Sixteen years ago, we began to dream about doing a radio program called Laugh Again. We were told we couldn't do it. It wouldn't happen. Radio stations didn't want a five-minute program. So we prayed. We prayed. And we went ahead with some planning. It took 12 years, and then God opened the door. 
So we record this little program in Three Hills. It gets sent out. The idea was simple. The joy is being systematically sucked from our lives, and we want it back. We want to know where it comes from. Suddenly, God has allowed this program to be on close to 500 stations around the world. And why is that? I think because people are hurting. They are feeling no hope. And yes, they like to laugh. But best of all, they want to know where true joy comes from. Oswald Chambers called joy the great note all through the Bible. He's right. Read it. A few months ago, we were privileged to, to go over to Greece and Turkey to help lead a group there. I think Vernon was here yesterday. I'm not sure if, if he made it today, but uh, Vernon went along with us. There are about 110 of us. We visited Philippi, and the site where it is believed Paul was imprisoned. It's a decaying relic now. Uh, Paul was hard on jail cells. Did you notice this reading the Bible? You didn't? Okay. What are we teaching them? No. Imprisoned, he wrote these words in Philippians 4. I want you to stand to your feet. We're going to read from this manual of joy. Are you ready? Here we go. Help me out. Rejoice in the Lord. Amen. Amen. Sit down, would you? In talking with many of you yesterday and asking you what has sucked the joy from your lives, it hit me that these verses address many of those things quite directly. You told me I'm busy, I'm stressed, anxious, worried, fearful, lonely. I'm sleepless in three hills. More than any other words, four came up. And so I want to just address four joy suckers this morning. And the first is simply comparison. Comparison. The first person I asked said, comparison is sucking the joy from my life. Well, this has always been an issue you needed to know. It just simply has since the first guy got the first goat and started comparing with his neighbor's goat. But never more so than now. Instagram and Facebook have raised the sin of comparison to startling levels. Anyone here compare yourself with others? Just maybe two or three of you. Yeah, okay, sure. You're liars. You're delusional. <laughs> Several of you told me Instagram kills my joy. Remi reminders that others have a more exciting life, one said. I don't think any generation has been so bombarded by what they do not have. A gorgeous friend posts pictures from another perfect hair day. Oh. <laughs> Jill's new dress is stunning. John's having dinner out again. Mark Maxwell just posted another selfie from the gym. Oh, he's got rippling abs. You're on the sofa, man. A two-gallon tub of fudge ice cream with chocolate chunks perched atop your protruding belly. The only exercise you've been doing lately is diddly squats. That's it. You feel like yelling, Mark, stop, enough already. Instead, you push like, like. Here's the cure for comparison. Are you ready? Write it down. Remember it. Contentment. 
Here are practical steps toward it. The first one, I'm going to give you three. The first is simply to take a regular break from social media. <gasps> How many just about had a heart attack right then? I want you to consider this, my friends, because I care about you. Schedule it. I'm preaching to me here. I took a 30-day social media break a year ago. It was helpful in every single way. Stop checking social media right before trying to go to sleep, would you? Spend time in God's Word. Let that be the last thing, the last thoughts, prayer, coming before Him. The joy will come back. Many of you sleep with your phones. You can't believe how many of you have told me that. Stop it. Stay this. Say this. Stop it. Yeah, stop it. But it's my alarm clock. Well, do you know there's something really cool now? You can get an alarm clock yourself, right, that isn't on your phone. But also, there's something called airplane mode. Your alarm will still work. It's a miracle. It is. By the way, I, I dropped my phone from a 12-story window. Was I ever thankful for airplane mode? Um, may I say something to you, and I hope you'll take it as from an old geezer who loves you. I have written 27 books. How did I do that? One word at a time, gluing my seat to a chair, using discipline. Walking with God requires disciplines that are no longer cool or valued by most people in your culture. But those who wish to experience true joy must value simplicity. Those who want to impact others must seek out silence. That will not be found gazing at a phone. And as I say this, I want to I caution you. I'm not saying when we come out of here, let's be looking at everybody who has a phone and going, quit that. That's not, no. I'm going to be on my phone sometimes. There are times when I need to be. You, my friends, are going to be world shapers. I know this. I've been alive long enough to see this happen. God took a crazy kid, you know, like me, and used me for His glory. All around the room, your teachers, God is using them. Not a lot of people held out a lot of hope that Mark Maxwell would be president of Prairie. I assure you, that is just the way it is. And yet God gets a hold of us, and He's going to do that with you. So be disciplined enough to fix your mind on the whatever things that we just read. Secondly, I was take a regular break from social media. Secondly, pray for those you envy. Radical thought. Here's a country song that talks about prayer. Beautiful song. I haven't been to church since I, do, I won't sing it. I haven't been to church since I don't remember when. Things were going great till they fell apart again. So I listened to the preacher as he told me what to do. He said, you can't go hating others who have done wrong to you. Sometimes we get angry. We must not condemn. Let the good Lord do his job. You just pray for them. And then the chorus. I pray your brakes go out running down a hill. I pray a flower pot falls from a windowsill and knocks you in the head like I'd like to. I pray your birthday comes and nobody calls. I pray you're flying high when your engine stalls. I pray all your dreams never come true. Just know wherever you are, honey, I pray for you. Wow. Well, I don't know. Have you ever prayed those kind of prayers? I've prayed a few of them. If your prayers are like that, don't give up. Pray. God will soften your heart. When we pray for others, we begin caring for them. Pray for those you envy. And third, I don't say this tritely or cliche-ishly. This is so important. Fix your eyes on Christ. Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ, and to die is what? Gain. How would you write that verse? Be honest, okay? For me to live is what? To be liked. To have good 
friend, family, good friends. Be honest. For me to live is stuff, and to die is to say goodbye to it. For me to live is money, and to die is to have others spend it, because I'm going to be dead. For me to live is fame, and to die is to be forgotten. That's the worst thing for a celebrity. As we focus on Christ and what He's done for us, the joy comes. Discontent subsides. You will find yourself doing three things. First of all, you'll find yourself celebrating what you have today. What you have today. Rejoice in the Lord, verse 4. You have Him. Rejoice in Him. Focus on Him. Verse 5 says to remember that He is coming soon. These things won't matter then. So rejoice. You know, you don't have the new clothes Jill has or the abs our president has, but you have a roof, a roof over your head. How many had food today yet already? Way to go. Celebrate. You don't have 632 Facebook friends, but let me tell you, you have a friend who will stick closer than a brother. Your citizenship is in heaven. You are loved by the living God. He is wild about you. Philippians 1.21, J.B. Phillips paraphrase, just said, For living to me means simply Christ. And if I die, I should merely gain more of Him. See how that turns comparison into contentment? Secondly, you're going to find yourself rejoicing with those who rejoice. How many find this hard? I, my hand is up. I do. This is possibly one of the most difficult disciplines in life. A friend is pulling down better marks, getting papers done sooner, getting engaged. They have the perfect family. As you give thanks for what Christ has done for you, you will celebrate with that friend. Joyfully enter in. It may be hard at first, but focus on God's goodness, and you will rejoice. Thirdly, start comparing down. That's what's going to happen. You know what I mean. In the right way, you will notice someone you can lift up, someone who needs help, who needs an encouraging word, you can encourage. Later on in Philippians 4, 12, and 13, I have learned the secret to being content in every and every situation, any and every situation. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Is that true? Yes. Then I lack nothing I need to do what He wants me to do. He has given it all to me. What more can I want? How can I be discontented and constantly comparing when He offers me all I need? Counter-comparison with contentment. Second joy sucker is relationships. Relationships. I don't know how you're doing in those, but some of you told me it's a struggle, and it can be our friendships and all. These things are fantastic when they're fantastic, but man, oh man, few things can suck the joy faster than disappointment with people. Ever experienced this? Many of you bear the ache of having parents split up, a friend abandoning you. There's a gnawing sense in the pit of your gut that won't go away. It won't seem to leave. One of my books that I wrote years ago was called Making Life Rich Without Any Money. I began asking people as I started to write this book, what has made your life rich? Over and over they told me about friends, about friendship, about relationships, relationship with a spouse, a grandchild, God himself. 93% of the people responding to this used one word, relationships. Many people told me relationships are falling apart. I know what makes me rich. Write about relationships that fall apart. Well, I am an expert in this area. I have had many of these happen to me. I was on staff at Prairie Bible Institute when a wonderful person by the name of, I still am, but Vance Newdorf moved in next door to me. 
He became my neighbor. And I loved this guy from the start because he would tell me Mennonite jokes until I was physically sick. He came over to me one of the first days. He came over to me. He said, Calloway, did you know there is conclusive proof that Adam was a Mennonite? I had no idea. He said, yes. Who else would stand beside a naked woman and be tempted by an apple? Uh, that's, <clears throat> that's what he said. I said, you don't know the Mennonites? I know. But we laughed, and I loved this guy until the day he came over and he insulted my lawnmower. I had a perfectly good electric lawnmower. He said, those are for wimps. You should have a gas-powered lawnmower like mine, a real man's lawnmower. Oh, didn't like this at all. And especially didn't like this when my lawnmower quit so loud you could hear it quit uh, in, in Toronto. And I had to humble myself, go over and ask to borrow my neighbor's lawnmower. He said, sure. He said, just come with me. And went out beside the shed. He said, just feel those handlebars. That's a man's lawnmower. Oh, I did. I took it home. I cut our grass in big, wide, manly swaths all the way to the back. Returned the lawnmower, of course. One week later, I had to borrow this lawnmower again. I went over. I knocked on Vance's door. He was not home. I thought, we are such good friends now. I will just borrow it. And so I did. And I went and I grabbed that lawnmower and I cut our grass. It was going great until the very back of the backyard until I encountered the stump about this big around, two inches in the air. I thought last week I went around it. This time I'll go over it. It needs trimmed anyway. It's a man's lawnmower. Should not be a problem. Bang! It stopped dead, never to start again. Oh. Well, I'm not a mechanically minded person like some of you, but I like looking at stuff that's busted. And so I turned it over. Oil was dripping out of it. Crankshaft bent like this. What would you do? I knew exactly what to do because when I was just a little boy, my father told me, Sonny, if ever you borrow something, return it. And so I did, and I took it, and I put it in that slot beside the shed, left on a five-day business trip to Washington, D.C., Got back from this trip. Vance was waiting for me. He said, do you have a flashlight? I said, I do. I went into the house, and I got this flashlight. I thought he is going to club me to death with a flashlight. I don't want to die this way. But instead, he motioned me over to the stump. It was growing dark, so he flipped the flashlight on and shone it on the stump. He had poured an entire bottle of ketchup, red like blood, all over the stump. There was a white spray-painted outline of a lawnmower in the grass beside it. And a yellow ribbon police sign, do not cross, around the trees. He looked at me and said, we have a suspect. <clears throat> then he took me out to our garden, and this is what was there. He had buried the lawnmower, made his own tombstone up. Here lies Mr. Mower, a life so quickly taken by a hand so quick to take. He will never mow what life had in the grass ahead of him. Wow. Vance knows what every good Christian friend knows. If you expect perfection from other people, your entire life will be a series of disappointments and grumblings and complaints. But if you set your sights a little bit lower and accept other people as the imperfect creatures all of us are, you just may find yourself a lifelong friend. My story doesn't end there. A few weeks later, Vance's wife went down to Home Hardware. It was down on Main Street in those days. Entered their name in a white draw box to win a beautiful red self-propelled lawnmower. Guess what happened? They won. And today, all because of me. Don't you think? They have a beautiful red self-propelled lawnmower. I have not tried borrowing this, but I do keep reminding them just how fortunate they are to have me for a friend. How are you doing in the area of relationships? Say these verses with me. Disregarding another person's faults preserves love.
Colossians 3. Just a footnote. Would you put prayer at the heart of your life and of all your relationships? That doesn't mean that you're always praying together. That's the first thing you do when you get together as friends. No. But start praying for that friend and for others and for yourself and the hardness of your own heart if you're anything like me. Start praying for a spouse while you're single if that's going to be God's will for you. Pray for your friends. Remember, there is only one who will never fail you. His name is Jesus Christ, our Savior. The third joy sucker is fear. Fear. This came up over and over. Anxiety, fear, worry. They're similar. They're different. But many of you told me this. A few of you, sleeplessness. We live in a paranoid culture, don't we? Have you noticed this? Did you know that this Saturday the world will end? How many have heard this? So many of you, yes, yes, the world is going to end. People have told me this. They are convinced. Two of them have told me that we're totally convinced they're buying in completely. The planets are aligning. I say this is great news. Wow, you won't have to finish assignments given for next week. I am speaking next, somewhere on Sunday. I, I don't have to prepare. Or do I? Paranoia is absolutely rampant. Edgar C. Wisenant had a book come out in 1988 or 7, I think it was, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. I saw the book. I never bought a copy. I think the next year he came out with 89 reasons he'll come in 89. And then 29 Reasons I Am No Longer a Prophet came out the next year. Would you relax? God is in control. He is. Don't worry. Remember, I told you, uh, many of you were here last year, I told about my number one fear. Do you remember it, some of you? My number one fear? Having a heart attack while playing the game charades. Huh? Uh, yeah. Would you relax? God is in control. Be anxious for nothing, Philippians tells us. Each time worry arrives, show it through the door of prayer. Because the more we pray, the less we panic. Wherever you are, God answers prayer. He cares. He's listening. Ramona and I recently watched Bridge of Spies uh, based on the true story of a lawyer who uh, was brokering hostage deals with the Soviet Union during the Cold War back in the late 1400s. Tom Hanks is James Donovan, who faces the impossible task of defending Russian spy Rudolf Abel, caught on U.S. soil and hated by the Russians and Americans alike. As things worsen, Donovan asks him, aren't you worried? Abel utters one of the greatest movie lines ever. When asked, aren't you worried? He says, would it help? I love that. We were going through some tough stuff ourselves. Abel's answer was perfect for us. Would it help? Are you worried, anyone? Would it help? You've likely watched Charlie Brown's Christmas special, have you? Let's see if I have a picture of... Oh, there's, there's Tom Hanks in the movie. Yeah. Charlie. I guarantee you missed something. To my knowledge, there's only one time in 50 years of Peanuts cartoons when Linus drops his trademark security blanket. He is giving his speech on what Christmas is all about. Linus is quoting the beautiful words the angel spoke to the shepherds in Luke 2. And when he says, fear not, what happens? He drops the blanket. I don't have a picture of it. Do I have a picture of it? Yes, I do. Yes, there he is. Sometimes a little cartoon can teach us to let go of worry, to drop those things we hang on to, our fears, our insecurities, our phones sometimes, and to reflect 
on the God who is with us. Final thing I want to mention to you, the final, one of the four, someone mentioned it was the first one, sin. Sin. As the ultimate joy sucker. The enemy promises you joy. It's not his to give. The lure of the forbidden, the promise that something illicit will save my dreary life, you know, an affair, pornography, you name it. Living with a boyfriend, a girlfriend. You know, someone said, that is preparing me for marriage. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Look at the statistics. It's not working. Someone said, you don't buy a shoe before trying it on. As if you have no soul. As if you'll have no memories of this. The truth is, God's laws are there for our joy. I told my kids not to play in traffic when they were little. This wasn't so they would be miserable. It was that they might experience life and joy. Guard your heart, my friend. Wherever you have been, today is where you start again. Take every thought captive. When David sinned, he prayed, Restore unto me what? The joy of thy salvation. Listen to Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. As you seek first His kingdom and experience His joy, a curious thing happens. I've seen it happen a little bit in my own life. And so many have. Sin becomes increasingly unattractive. You have seen Satan come along and try to steal our joy with sin. Sin becomes increasingly unattractive, and you find yourself saying no to temporary pleasures, not because you don't want pleasure, but because you want true pleasure, lasting pleasure that's found only in Jesus Christ. Can we do this? Absolutely. I was tempted a number of years ago, traveling a lot by myself, and it wasn't a good thing. I could tell you about a number of times when somehow God, by His grace, allowed me to avoid disaster. But one time I was uh, on the East Coast at a writer's conference, and, and I was one of three guys among 300 women, and that's never really uh, usually a good thing. Uh, yeah, it, it just, it, sometimes, you know, when you're the funny guy, you're a little bit of a target, and, and suddenly I, I'm realizing, oh my goodness, and one lady came up to me and, and told me, I had a dream about you last night and went on to describe it. I should have went like this and gone running. Another one came up to me and, and, and said to me, I love you. And I'm kind of flattered by this. We guys are not quite right in the head sometimes. We aren't, you know. In the midst of this, I, I, I'm wondering what to do. And I'd like to tell you I went straight to God's Word and, and that I ran. But I'm thinking of these things. And, and I, I went home and, and, and suddenly this same woman who had told me she loved me contacted me on Facebook. Uh, wanted to be a friend, a friend request. Oh, ministry opportunity, right? Yeah, right. So I added her as a friend and suddenly she's contacting me in private saying, you know what, Phil, um, I, I'm coming through a city nearby. I'd like to get together. And I have these thoughts in my mind, none of them from the Holy Spirit of God. And I did something. I, 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 I took out a piece of paper. Don't ask me why, but I decided I would. And I wrote down, benefits of an affair. What would you write? I wrote down extreme temporary pleasure. That was all I could think of. Flattery, maybe. I don't know. 
And I took out another paper, piece of paper that was much longer, thankfully, and I, I came up with, with my list of what I would forfeit if I had an affair. Listen to some of these things. I, I've got it here. It's very long. I'll shorten it. Uh, money. <laughs> Sorry, that was so close to the top. Peace. Joy. Body parts. Sorry. Really good home-cooked meals. Pleasure without guilt. My wife's trust. My trust. Credibility with my sons. My ministry. Friends trusting me around their wives. Being able to look everyone I meet straight in the eye. Guilt-free family reunions. Walking my daughter down the aisle with people crying for all the right reasons. And staring at the ceiling late at night and grinning like a carefree little kid. Which list appeals to you? Flee youthful lust, would you? And those of you who are as old as I am, push your walker away from it as quickly as you can. Remember our magnet-eating hamster? What have you been feeding yourself lately? Have you been feeding yourself on stuff from the Internet that you shouldn't? Bad news, gloom, paranoia? Are you caught up in everything that's wrong with our world? Or are you willing to do something positive about it? Are you feeding on that which gives you life? Listen again to the words you read up on the screen. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to listen to this. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This, my friend, is the pathway to joy. Let's commit the things that steal our joy to the giver of all good things, the author of joy. I think we'd do well to put these amazing verses on a fridge magnet and if you do, just keep it away from your hamster. Would you stand to your feet with me? I loved what we sang earlier. Did you, did you hear those lyrics? Did you sing them? Did you mean them? Thou and thou only be first in my heart. Is that your desire? Boy, I want that. Philippians 1, 9 and 10 says this. May the God of uh, no, it doesn't say that. That's another one. Let me, let, me, let me give you that one first. That's Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope, that's a good verse, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's my prayer for you. And this from Philippians 1, 9, and 10. And this is my prayer for you, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your amazing love, your amazing grace. How can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? Thank you. Thank you for all that you are going to do through these incredible students, these ones that you love so deeply. Thank you that you are with us today as we go from here and commit ourselves to you with great thanksgiving. We leave here with great joy because of what you have done. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a fantastic day. You are a blast to be with. Tomorrow I'll be here one more time. God bless you.